0: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions. And this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with Larry D. Davis. His passion for education and learning is second only to his love of God and his children. A second career educator, Larry was a teacher, a department chair, an assistant principal, a house principal, and a high school principal before moving into the position of district coordinator and then regional director of Responsive Education Solutions. In every position that Larry has had, he's felt that he had to do more more to increase student achievement, more to help teachers grow, and more to support the educational process as a whole. Larry believes that when good men sit quietly and do nothing, then they are no longer good men. This has served as his mantra as a parent, a leader, and as a man. He received the associate's degree from Weatherford College in Weatherford, Texas, and his bachelor's degree from the University of Texas at Arlington. He earned his master's degree from the Texas Women's University. Larry believes children benefit when educators, parents, and politicians come together to discuss educational problems calmly and objectively. He is the father of one son, Kyla, and one daughter, London. So welcome, Larry Davis. How are you? I
1: am blessed and trying to be a blessing. How about yourself?
0: Oh, we're doing fine. We're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, we're on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So Larry, are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yes, I am. Awesome. Okay. So can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now?
1: I will tell you this. Growing up, my goal was always to be the man behind the great man or the great woman. I want to be the power person who made people great, you know, not necessarily the face. Mm-hmm. However, throughout my journey and my career, even in high school, I always end up being in the front leadership by example. And I had a great coach and a really good teacher, Mr. Thomas Arbrook. He said, Larry, you can't hide leadership. It's going to come out. It's going to flourish. It's like a plant that's been watered. is just waiting to blossom. So that reluctant leader in me had to be put on the shelf. And here I am today. I'm a second career educator. I was in the corporate world and I was a troubleshooter. And that was not what I went to the corporate world to be. I was a guy who they sent to different units to straighten those things out, to find out what was wrong, fix them. And then I went to another place, a 20 year educator. I've been a teacher, assistant principal, a high school principal, a house principal a district coordinator for school support, a district coordinator for college career readiness. And now currently I'm a regional director with uh, premier high schools.
0: Wow. So you've worn many hats,
1: many hats and every hat I've ever worn. My goal was to be able to do more. What can I do to do more? I've never taken a position just to take a position. I've taken every position in my career to be able to impact students more, impact growing teachers more and just do more for whoever I was working with.
0: So you've come from a corporate world, which is really, to me, valuable because you have different insights on things. So how would you describe your leadership style?
1: I usually want to tell everyone I'm a servant leader with traces of visionary and transformational leadership. But over time, I, I realized being a leader with heart was more important. People follow people who know things about them.
0: -hmm. You
1: can't lead people if you don't know anything about it. The teachers and administrators who work with me, I know their birthdays, I know their children's birthdays. I celebrate those things. So I want to let them know I'm invested in them. So I'm more of a leader with heart, and I really lead situationally. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have vision and I'm not a visionary, but every situation doesn't call for a holistic approach to leadership. You have to lead people, it's people, not programs. People make the difference. When we talk about improving schools, we talk about hiring better people or improving the people we have. It's not the program, it's the people. So I would say I'm a leader with heart and I lead people.
0: You're a leader with heart, so you get to know the people you lead. Yes. So, Larry, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why?
1: That's a really tough question because every uh, Monday morning, Wednesday morning, I do my uh, leadership conference calls and I have different quotes. Frederick Douglass. Old men talk of what they've done, young men talk of what they're doing, and fools talk of what they're going to do. That just speaks <laughs> profoundly to me. You know, we waste so much time talking about what we're going to do. Just do it.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And then the other was by uh, Captain Mike Abershaw and it's like, successful leaders know who they are, they know their strengths and their weaknesses, and they understand their temperament. They know that personal experiences serve them well. They understand their rhythm. And we all have a rhythm in our life, a rhythm to our day. And that's one of the things I like. I like to get into a cadence. It doesn't matter what hits me unexpectedly. If I'm in that cadence, I understand what's a goal, what's a task, what's a priority, what's low priority. So that rhythm helps me.
0: So you get into a rhythm. I like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you mentioned something that you do a talk on Mondays and Wednesdays. What is that about?
1: It's about my team. At the very top of that conference call agenda, it says, I have learned that I have fewer answers than the many. So I will seek not to give you answers, but facilitate answers from the collaborative group. And so they know that when we come together, it's not about sitting and listening to me, but about them giving me feedback on what's going on out in their communities, and their campuses, with their kids, and sharing that experience with members of the team. So that's why I do it, to make sure that we have a chance to grow each other.
0: So it's an in-house conference yeah. call with yes, the, your what, yeah. leadership team. Yes. Okay. Now, what type of leader are you inspired by and why?
1: You know, whenever there's a new superintendent in the state of Texas, I always listen to their very first interview because I want to know what that first line is going to be. That line tells me a lot about that person. So I think the people that inspire me are the leaders who no one saw coming, the leaders who took over that impossible situation and all of a sudden it's a great situation. Leaders who aren't afraid to go in there and change things for children. I believe that every high school, every elementary school, every middle school was built to educate children, not to employ adults. So when you see leaders come in and they're leading with children in mind first, that's what inspires me. Leaders who dare to make a difference.
0: So leaders who really are speaking to the future, is that correct? Yes.
1: When I first became an assistant principal, I was in a district that was about 46, 47 years old, and I was the first African-American administrator in that district. Hmm. And In my office, I had posters of Native American chiefs who made a difference, women who dared to be different, African-American who dared to make a difference.
0: And so you're connecting with that. You're someone who makes a difference. That's the statement that you're making there, Um, at least to me. That's awesome. Um, Now... Larry, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: You know, I think my best advice is from my dad. It was as simple as this. Until your desire to achieve something outweighs your fear of achieving it, you won't achieve it. Mm -hmm. And the second was great leaders hire great people. I think if you're the leader and you're the smartest, you're the best person on your team, you have the wrong team. Because what you have is a bunch of people doing tasks for you. I want people who's going to push me and challenge me. The teacher I want on my team is the one who has a purposeful mindset, a purpose for teaching, a purpose for wanting to be around children, a purpose for doing what they do. That purposeful mindset is the person I want in leadership, on my team, at all times.
0: Hmm. And so, you know, often though, Larry, we inherit a team, right? We don't have the privilege of building one. And so you may have on your team that teacher... With the job mindset. But, you know, my experience has been they didn't start off that way. And for some reason, the system created this. They ended up in a different place than when they started because they started with the great heart. And I've seen this time and time again. So as a leader, how would you address that to kind of shift them back? That's a tall order. And I know this is a big question and it's tough, but it happens so often that it begs for us to ask, what are some things that we could do? to kind of shift
1: them you know what i totally agree with you because you know they say that there's two ways to grow a school hire better people or grow the ones we have so how do we grow that teacher who came in with all this ambition all this purpose and all of a sudden they've gone through 10 different principles 10 different leaderships and they just drained because they don't think they have value what i have is a result-based conversation I'll go, Lily, I've been in your room several times over the last couple of months, and I noticed that student engagement is low. You write a lot of referrals and your failure rate is really high. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate yourself with one being low and 10 being very high? And that teacher would say, I'm probably a three. And then I would say, how long have you been teaching? Ten years. And then I'll ask them at any time in that 10 years, did you rate yourself higher than a three? And they would say, "Ah." I used to be an eight or a nine, okay, and I would ask them, what was going on when you rated yourself a nine? And when they start telling me, you'll see them come to life. And then my question would be, how can I help you get back there? And then I would say to them, next week, how can we grow you a half a point? And then that teacher sees I'm invested in them because I let them give me the solutions to the problems. I let them tell me what made them a nine at that point in time, and I let them tell me how I could help them get back to that point. So that's how I usually deal with that.
0: So it sounds like you do a lot of coaching.
1: You know what? You coach, you teach, you love.
0: And I love that because what I hear is that you're asking a lot of questions and letting them come up with their solutions. I also hear that you give them quick wins, which is really important, especially when you, know, you feel so dejected and, and you feel like a three out of 10. Yeah. So that's really wise. And I appreciate that.
1: I truly believe this, that you can lose with great team members but you'll never win without them. So we build them through collaboration. We build them through empowerment. We build them through letting our teachers to solve and answer their own questions. We have to allow them to be innovative. We have to allow them to dare to take that risk to help that student to change that culture. You know, I think when you look at this country, we are where we are because people dare to be different. People dare to take a risk. And if we're gonna to continue to unlock that potential that lies inside of our children, we going to, have to continue to take risks because our children are growing and changing so much faster than we are as adults. Right. So the jobs that are going to exist in 20 years don't exist now. Mm-hmm. So how do we unlock the unrealized potential of that child who's going to have that job 20 years from now? Todd Whitaker says there are three types of teachers. There's your superstar teacher and that superstar teacher will give you advice or give you their opinion. And you don't have to say, why do you think that? You know it's good because a superstar teacher is invested in that school and that campus and those kids and in youth, being successful. Mm-hmm. And then there's a backbone teacher. That's the teacher who teaches chemistry and soccer. That's a tough combination to find a soccer coach who can teach <laughs> chemistry. <laughs> you know. So, I say. So that's how you build it. You have to collaborate about everything with everyone. People leave people, they don't leave organizations. Because when you talk to someone about changing a job, they talk about the people on the job and why they were unhappy. They don't talk about the job. Hmm. They don't talk about the organization. So make sure your people are invested in what you're doing and make sure you're invested in your people and that's how you grow that team. Show them that they're of value and they have value.
0: Awesome. Now, you've led in the corporate world and you're leading now in education. What are some shifts that you've had to make in how you approach it or have there been?
1: I was fortunate because... When I came from the corporate world to education, that's when the education was taking on that corporate model, going from management to leadership. So it was a great transition for me going in. And I will say this, every organization is about people. I just wrote the book and the re-education of the African-American child, and I'm doing a presentation in a couple of weeks. And I align a corporation's organizational chart with that of education, you know, you have a CFO. Well, you have a CFO. That's your chief family operator, right? Mom and dad. Mm-hmm. You have a CEO. Well, the CEO is a child. To me, they need to be the chief education operator for their own education. You have the CEO. That's the school district. You have a board of directors. You have a school board. Mm-hmm. So it aligns perfectly. And then you have to hold each of those entities accountable for what they do, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think the transition from corporation to education was easy for me. But the difference what I see now is... In education, we are so invested in the result that we forget to look at the process, which is how some companies fail. Mm,
0: very we're interesting, so
1: busy right? looking at that data.
0: It's interesting to me when you talked about moving from management to leadership. And if I understand correctly, that's what you saw when you went into education, right? That you were moving from yes. management to leadership. Leadership to me is not a business concept. It's a concept in and of itself. And so often in education, when we think of leadership, we think of corporate, but we're leading people. We shouldn't be managing people. Who the heck wants to be managed? I know I don't want to be managed. (laughs) I want to be led, right? And so this is why I'm so passionate about leadership because it is about people. It is about inspiring. And speaking of all those things, I wrote down some words as I listened to you that kind of jump out about you in leadership. And so you did say reluctant leader, which was interesting. The vision that popped into my head was Moses, who was a reluctant leader. (laughs) and He became a great leader. But one of the things that made him a great leader is humility. And so the other thing is that You occur to me as someone who analyzes and who likes to analyze things. A visionary, Um, you certainly have vision for your people and for those you lead, but also for yourself and your organization. Someone who enjoys people. Yes. Okay, you're nodding. Yes. And um, you mentioned a servant leader, but also someone who has invested in himself and continues to do so because you see the importance of that. Someone who's a good listener and courageous because you did speak about fear. And when we speak about fear and we continue to move forward, to me, that's someone who practices courage. So,
1: right. Well, it sounds like you're still talking about Moses.
0: (laughs) Could be. But I'm talking about you, my friend. All right. So can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life?
1: That's one of your tough questions. I remember looking at that saying, this lady has written some tough questions. Well, they're they're good questions. They're insightful. They're thought provoking. I will tell you this. I've worked in several school districts and my very first year as a teacher, I wanted to know why we teach what we taught, not just what we were teaching. So I actually wrote curriculum that very first year as a teacher. I was writing curriculum and I've written curriculum in several different school districts. There was a school district that had 23 failing schools. And I wrote this Instructional Leadership Learning Community platform for this district with those schools. And I paired three principals together, not by grade level. Some had a strength in English, some science, some math, put those together. And I had them write a plan that could not be no more than one and a half pages long. Not that CIP that's 63 pages long because no one reads that. That's just a dog and pony show for the school board. But it was very focused, very structured. Every move was scripted critically. And at the end of the year no failing schools, Mm. all because I was able to center those leaders, maximize their instructional leadership time on their campuses, remove the distractions from the district, asking about things that were not important and have them focus on their data on their campuses and then have them be accountable to timelines and milestones, you know, give them the new mindscape and a new and old landscape. So I've done that with three other districts since then.
0: And how long did that process take?
1: They saw the results probably within the first six weeks when they first did their benchmarks. Because you first you sit down with the administrator and his team, your department chairs, your level leads, your assistant principals, your custodians. That's your team. The person who knows more about what's going on on campus is a custodian and principal secretary. And that's if you true. don't put them with your team, you're missing out on a lot of good information. And so I think within the first six weeks, what we did was we bundled, assessed every three weeks. And that first assessment, we saw the norm, we saw the pattern, we saw where the weaknesses were lying. And then on that next assessment, we saw growth, we saw change. And by the end of the year, like I said, none of those schools were failing. Another one of the challenges that we've had is that, you know, we were hit by Hurricane Harvey. Hmm. Hurricane Harvey hit the Houston area and I have several schools down there. so. Taking care of those children and those educators was important. And think about this. I have students and teachers and paraprofessionals at work, at school today, who are still displaced from their homes because of the hurricane. But they want to be in school. They want to be at work because they need some normalcy in their lives. And they, you go in there and they're working just as hard. And in that seven and a half hour span, they can forget that they're not at their home. Mm-hmm. They can forget that they're displaced. They can forget that they're staying at a hotel. Some of the students that we have are there because, you know, the school that they went to initially is flooded out and hadn't been repaired. So they're in a temporary setting, even as far as schools go. Houston is probably about a year away from being back to normalcy.
0: Wow. Thank you for that. Hello, leaders. Here's a quick message. As you know so well, effective leadership is about influence. So I've created a mastermind group based on Dr. John Maxwell's work, Becoming a Person of Influence. And beginning January 6th, we can continue to grow collectively and start 2018 strong. So gift yourself or someone on your team with this wonderful opportunity to connect with like-minded individuals and lay a strong foundation. Go to masterleadership.org for more details and easy registration. Tell us about one of your greatest successes.
1: My greatest success is my two children. (laughs) And I tell them that all the time, and they just say, oh, you're just in it because you're supposed to. (laughs) But no, they really are. You know, I don't know if I've had my greatest success, but I will say this. People who are so focused on being successful are never successful. People who are so focused on the work that they have to do are successful and don't know it. So I don't know if I've been successful or not. I'm too busy focused on the road ahead. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The Girl Scout creed is every place you visit, leave better than the way you found it. That's my goal. Everywhere I go, I want to make sure I leave it better than the way I found it.
0: Now, you talked about your children. How many children (laughs) do you have?
1: I have two beautiful children. I have a son who's in college and I have a daughter who's in high school, sophomore in high school.
0: To lead as a parent is a completely different thing. And we learn as parents and as leaders, we learn so much through them. When I look at my son, he's helped me with my leadership and continues to, and continues to challenge it every day.
1: Ironically, that's the reason I got into education. I was about to be a dad, so I was in, in corporate leadership. I had a flexible schedule, so I started to substitute. My very first assignment, I got there and the principal secretary said, you are? I said, Mr. Davis. And she took the folder back from me. And I said, what's wrong? She goes, Mr. Davis, do you speak Spanish? I said, no ma'am. She said, this is a Spanish speaking only first grade. And I said, I'll tell you what, I will stay there until you find someone to come in. So let me just go there. Well, they never found anyone. At the end of the day, as they were leaving to go home, each one of those little kids hugged my leg and said, thank you in Spanish, thank you for being here. And I told my best friend, I just spent seven hours in front of a group of young students and I brought nothing to them. I felt so bad. And I thought, what if my child goes into a classroom and that happens? So my commitment was to never go in front of a group of kids and not add value to them. So every student who comes in my building, I put my child's face on them and make sure that they have a great experience.
0: And you know what I see too from that story Is that even though you didn't speak the language, you must have brought a lot of love. Because for them to say gracias at the end of the day and to hug your leg, (laughs) there was something obviously about you that said, I care about you. And that's why I'm here. So I, I really want to honor you for that because that's a great lesson too. serve where you're needed. Whether you think you're skillful or not, if there's a need, step up. Here I am. All right. So what would you tell a new leader? who's discouraged about their working climate or culture?
1: You know, I would say this, if it's possible, because it's not always possible, change your environment before your environment changes you. You spoke to that teacher who came in with all that purpose and heart, and then through all the transitions, they just became that, I just want my check. I don't want that to happen to young leaders. So I want to say change your environment before your environment changes you. But also this, don't allow the person above you to dictate who you are. Every situation, every position you're in, take something from it and grow. Don't let it take something from you. And when the opportunity comes or arises, use that knowledge. Because every time we sit down and talk, we learn something. Every situation we're in, we learn something. We may think it's bad and we didn't get anything out of it, but it was something. Bad or good, we were influenced in some way. So take those moments and use them to your advantage.
0: And Larry, how important is it for a leader to have a coach or a mentor?
1: Everyone has to have a sounding board. You know, and I think this is where most young principals fall short. They don't realize that they don't have that on their campus. The principal job on a campus is the loneliest position there is because you're not an assistant principal anymore. Mm. That's the job you used to have. So you need to find a principal somewhere else that you can talk to, that you can bounce ideas off of, that you can reflect, you know, invent with if you have to. It's important. The Bible says just as iron sharpens iron, friends sharpen friends, professional leaders sharpen other professionals and leaders. So you do need that. I think it's vital to what we do. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that's what's missing in professional development. We go and sit and listen, but we're not being sharpened. We're not sharing. We're just gathering.
0: Right. And in professional development, it's just a one and done. Typically, yes. when we have coaching behind it, whether it's for the content yes. that's taught there, or for just our own personal growth, then we're held accountable. And then we move in a different direction. And we certainly grow. Thank you so much for that. Now, Larry, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. <laughs> what does that mean to you? And what are you learning now?
1: I think when educators sit down and talk openly and objectively, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we all learn from each other. So I'm learning a lot just talking with you and I hope in some form or fashion, you're learning something from me. I certainly am. (laughs) So I like that question because I think the term lifelong learning means to assess and reevaluate yourself all the time. It's an ongoing process. Maslow's hierarchy, I think it should be a circle. Mm -hmm. I think it's perpetual. Every time you get to a point There's something new to learn. There's something new about you to discover. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: even once we get to a point where we retire, Mm -hmm. that's another chapter that we get to write.
0: Different needs. Yeah.
1: Lifelong learning. That's what it is. It's about being able to understand that times change and so do we. Mm -hmm. Situations adapt. So must we. If we're going to grow the next generation of leaders, we have to know. What is it? We know we know. And we know we don't know. Mm -hmm. But how do we become great when we know what we don't know? We don't know. Mm -hmm. So how do we do that? By constantly learning. I employ book studies with my staff all the time. Really? Yeah. I want to get their feedback on things. I'll even let them suggest the books, you know, and they enjoy it because most of the books we read just reminds us of things we already know. But we've gotten so busy that we've forgotten. Like you said, that one and done professional development. You leave there with all these great ideas, you get back to the school and you got 25 phone calls to make. Right. And then at the end of the year when you clean off your desk, you go, oh, I was going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. Lifelong learning is just that, but it doesn't have to be from an academic perspective. It could be socially, it could be emotional. And I think that's one of the biggest things with me was learning people, more about people. You know, you get the academics, but people, there's nothing we do in our lives. There's no educational class we can take that can prepare us for the individuals, the human element. The human element is constantly changing, so we're always evolving with that.
0: And you're okay with change, aren't you?
1: I'm okay with change.
0: Okay, so I wrote down several other words. You occur to me as inquisitive, analyzing things. You're a doer. You take action. You also occur to me as a risk taker, someone who's intentional about what they do, and adaptable. We have to be. Okay, so... If there were something you could change in education in the U.S., what would that be?
1: We have to stop determining what kind of education a child is going to get based on their color and their zip code. We have to educate our children. That's our goal. There's two ways to improve schools. Hire better people. Improve the ones we have. There's no point that says go out and recruit better students. Discipline problems, behavior problems, being behind academically. Isn't that the job? That's the job it's in the title teaching uh this is my biggest pet peeve in education that they refer to students as subgroups and subpopulations i hate that they are student groups they're not subgroups they're not subpopulations by definition alone that means you don't have to bring these kids up to the high standard because they're sub and states use that terminology and i don't like it so Mm -hmm. to remove color
0: So I'm going to kind of pick at this a little bit. How do you remove color when there is color? Help us to frame that because, you know, my son's black. I'm Latina. It is what it is. And I love it. I love the diversity. So how do you do that? Frame that for me a little bit. And I'm glad you asked
1: that because when I say absence of color, I don't mean absence of culture. I mean, look at the child's, open the child's mind. Create that desire to learn, create that interest, find out what that child is interested in and then find out where they are and take them to where they need to be. But we still celebrate culture. So when I say absence of color, I don't mean absence of culture because our culture is what makes us great. No one wants to go to a picnic and all you have is 25 different bowls of the same potato salad you need that picnic to have all the different varieties and things on that table so you can really enjoy it and when we look at it our cultural differences is what makes us great Mm -hmm. every great movement in this country happened because of a culture and ethnicity a small group of people decided that this isn't right we need to change it and they did Mm -hmm. so celebrate the culture but remove the color from the teaching i don't want teachers thinking you know, because this kid is from the 76211, that's usually a really a low performing area. The elementaries are not very good. So if this kid makes a 70, that's probably the best they're going to do. No, I want that teacher to, when that kid walks in that room, I want that teacher to see a mind, a future leader of tomorrow, a congressman, a congresswoman, a leader of industry. I don't want them to see color, mm-hmm. but I do want them to appreciate the culture that child brings in. Yeah,
0: well, that certainly is a higher calling, especially where we stand today in our country. And so that's something to aspire to. And I appreciate you bringing that up. This is one of the reasons why I started this, because I believe we need to take responsibility for leadership. Yes. And probably the most important leaders in a school building would be the teachers because they are that first contact or that primary contact with the students our future leaders. Right. So thank you so much for that. Now, What have you read that our listeners should read and why?
1: Anything by Todd Whitaker. I love his writing because he tells stories. Simon Sinek is great. He talks about the why, the what, the who. His book, Leaders Eat Last, is one I read. And uh, there's a young man up in your area, Dr. Christopher Indium. He wrote the book for white folks who teach in the hood and the rest of y'all too.
0: So you're an author, correct? Yes. So tell us about your book.
1: This is my second book. The first one was a book on how to pass the Texas principal exam. a more of a study guide. Was that a bestseller? In the bestseller? state of Texas. But yes. I've had people coming from North Carolina, Detroit and Colorado who use strategies in that book to pass their principal exam. Smart. You know, but this book here, the reeducation of the African-American child in today's school system. I started putting this concept together about five years ago and it was going to be paying homage to Carter G. Woodson, who wrote The Miseducation of the American Negro. Mm-hmm. But after talking to people and after looking at the education system, I thought, you know what? We already know the problems. I don't need to write that. I want to write about strategies, solutions, things that everyone can do to help fix this problem. And it starts with parents, community, school districts, services, teachers, and the student. What are the responsibilities that each of these groups have in reeducating the African-American child? So I didn't point the finger at anyone. I just talked about things that we could all do. And guess what, Liddy? All these things exist already. We're not reinventing the wheel. They're already out there.
0: You know, I love that because what pushes me forward as a leader, too, is always asking myself that question, what is my responsibility here? Again, we know all the problems and we can complain about the problems. And I've done it myself. But when we ask that critical question that you just said, what is my responsibility here? Then that can help drive us forward. So I really appreciate that. So now if our listeners wanted to get your book, what's the best way to do that?
1: Should be in the stores by late November, but right now it's online at barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com.
0: And the name of your book again?
1: The Reeducation of the African American Child in Today's School System.
0: Perfect. I want to
1: share this with you. I left the apostrophe out of the word today's on purpose. Everyone thinks it's a typo, and my publisher kept going, No, you have to put it there. I'm like, No. My daughter designed the cover, and my son said, Remove the apostrophe from today's. And I said, Why should I do that? He said, Dad, because it starts with reading and writing. And every educator would notice that apostrophe is missing, but most other people won't. So I did it. Do you Suggest- have a book with right right Can I see it? Right here. So
0: she, yes. oh, she created the coat. Mm. She did.
1: She okay. created four different covers. This is not the one I like. That's the one she liked. <laughs>
0: <Really> <laughs> so nice. you are open to input and you're flexible as well. Yes.
1: She's a 15-year-old girl, so... You don't ask her for something and then say no.
0: You're a very wise <laughs> parent, so that's really awesome. Okay, so Larry, can you tell us, what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have?
1: I keep a scorecard. So at the end of each day, I look at that scorecard, and it's based on goals versus task, right, versus intangibles. So. At the end of the day, I look at that and I evaluate it. But every morning I do a process. I get up, you know, I thank God for waking me up and do my prayers. But the next thing I do is this. I go through everything that I accomplished on my scorecard. And then I look at why I didn't accomplish certain goals. Then I take those deep breaths to center myself. And the next step is I look at planning out the day. How can I accomplish the goals from yesterday and meet the goals that I have for today? Regardless of what interruptions I have, it's going to be a great day. Hmm. I'm going to make a difference in somebody's life. And that's why I'd say everyone asks me, how are you doing? I'm blessed and trying to be a blessing because that's my goal.
0: That's your goal. And so I'm trying to envision this scorecard of yours because I'm a visual learner. About how many goals have you set every day?
1: Well, you know what I will say is how about doing a percentage wise? Okay. We, 20% of what we do are our goals. 80% of what we do are tasks and things that we have to address. We have to address them. But they don't take us and help us get to our goals. But we have to address them or they will keep us from achieving our goals. And what I do is, let's say return the phone call to a parent, check in emails, those are tasks. I get no points for that. But if I don't do it, I lose two points.
0: Mm.
1: So if my goal is to do five walkthroughs, sit down with the teacher and go over the data from that walkthrough, that's a goal. If I don't do that, I lose major points for that. But I make sure I get those done. So
0: So what's the maximum amount of points that you can earn?
1: I have 25 points a day. And I I will tell you this, I had a group of brand new assistant principals and that was difficult for them to comprehend. So there is a calendar in Word that's color coded. Mm -hmm. And so what I told them, I said, on this day, anything that is a goal, put it in a darker shade, anything that is a task, put it in a lighter shade and leave room for interruptions. Don't put anything there. And it took them maybe six weeks to get that. And all of a sudden they're like, My day is going so much easier now. Mm. Yeah, because it's written down, it's organized, it's structured, you know. That's one of the habits (laughs) of effective people.
0: you're very organized, my friend. (laughs) I try, that's my struggle. 25 points for you, yes. Okay,
1: I'll Um, take it. All right.
0: So, Larry, many educational leaders put in long hours. What advice would you give about maintaining balance?
1: First of all, understand who we work for. We work for our families. Mm. We work at the job. Mm-hmm. And once we realize that, understand that our family is our most important thing. It's not the job. So prioritize what's important. Mm-hmm. Now I understand as a young leader, advancement may be very important. And so you have to put in the time. Mm-hmm. And here's another advice at a very young age when I first got into the corporate world. If you work 65 hours a week and you're not getting anything done, I need a new person. Mm-hmm. But if you work 40 hours a week and your people get everything done, and you're gone this day, you're gone that day, I don't have a problem with it. Mm -hmm. So it's not the amount of time that we put in a day, it's the amount of time we invest in growing our people. And once we grow our people, then our day will give us a better quality of life. That's what I believe, so.
0: smart, smart, because you're empowering (laughs) others and you're not doing everything yourself.
1: And put the time in ahead of time, you know? You're gonna have to retrain people, but guess what? When you have a great team and someone moves on to something greater, and someone comes in, that team can help train. It's not solely your responsibility.
0: Right. And you're also, and trust you them. trust them. That's perfect. That's a great word. And you're empowering them to lead. You're helping them yes. to lift their leadership skills as well. Now, what kind of work did you do prior to education?
1: I was a recruiter, a general manager, a troubleshooter, you name it. My goal was to be a regional director over a whole area, but it didn't take long for me to realize there was no purpose in it. No matter how hard and how successful I was, at the end of the day, I was drained and there was no purpose. When we go home on empty as educators, that's gas well spent, right? I mean, we're like, wow, I'm on the empty, but what a great day. I mm-hmm. helped this kid, I helped that kid, but I'm okay because at the end of the day, that child's gonna be taken care of.
0: Mm-hmm. When
1: we go home on empty and as educators, We should be okay with that. Mm
0: -hmm. And I love that because initially how I got into education, that's a different story. But the reason for staying is purpose. And I believe that a leader needs to find their purpose, right? Yes. All right. So if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership?
1: Don't labor on your mistakes. Learn from them. Mm -hmm. You know, we sometimes beat ourselves up about our mistakes, Mm -hmm. but we're going to make mistakes. But also this right here. Know what you do great. Know what you do okay. And know what you don't do very good. Mm -hmm. Work to where what you don't do very good becomes good. Work to what you do okay becomes great. And work to where you do what's great becomes second nature, becomes the norm. And if you keep constantly evaluating and moving those things forward, eventually greatness is the norm. You're not evaluating people. You're evaluating yourself. You're never the victim. You're always the owner. Situation where things don't go well in a meeting. Don't say, well, this person disrupted the meeting. Their whole intent was to come in and just to break down a meeting. How could I have handled that better? How could I have prepared for that situation? Because as a leader, you should know your people.
0: Yeah. If you don't then identify that area where you need to grow. I love that you ask yourself those questions. I love that you ask the people you lead those key questions because the answer is within them. A good leader pulls that out. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed?
1: Take advantage of your time with you because these platforms that you present, they're few and far in between because just the questions that you sent me along was so thought provoking, it made me self reflect. Can I say thank you very much? I appreciate the fact that you give young leaders old leaders and new coming leaders an opportunity to have a venue to have a voice. I like that.
0: I think it's needed in education.
1: I think it's missing.
0: Okay. So now we're filling the gap. So that's great.
1: <laughs> I really enjoy it. Actually, you're almost replacing TED Talks in my book.
0: What? <laughs> you have made my day.
1: So thank you. And understand this, leadership is about people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's about influencing and empowering the people that we work with and work for. It's about moving people from asking you to solve a problem to solving those problems themselves.
0: Wow.
1: Leadership's about people, not programs.
0: Wonderfully said. Well, Larry, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.